You're listening to Understanding Jonah. This is part of a larger project called Understanding the Old Testament, where we're trying to make the Old Testament accessible, uh, accessible to you, not just uh, making it understandable, but uh, making it uh, convenient for you to listen to some Bible teaching on books of the Bible that you might skip over, or you might be a little intimidated to read and study on your own, uh, because the Old Testament has a lot of stuff that is unfamiliar to us. It's written in a different time. It's a different culture. There are different uh, ideas and concepts that maybe we're not used to just spending most of our time in the New Testament. But we want to make this something that you can listen to on the go while you're folding laundry, while you're doing chores, while you're driving to work, working out, on a walk, whatever you're doing. Hopefully this can be a useful resource for you. Uh, Understanding Jonah is going to be on the book of Jonah, and uh, this is a great short book uh, in the Old Testament, but one that is full of themes that relate to the gospel, that relate to Jesus Christ, that relate to the message of salvation for all people. Jonah is a book of grace. So I'm going to read the first chapter of Jonah, and then we're going to talk a little bit about who Jonah is and what his mission is, and a little bit about the structure of this book. So if you want to, you can uh, read along with me, or you can just listen to this uh, as I read Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, What shall we do to you? that the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous around them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. 
Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. In order to understand Jonah, we have to understand what it means for him to be a prophet. Now, a prophet is a member of God's divine council, a member of God's inner circle. He's not just somebody who teaches the word or even receives words to transmit to people, but there's a a sort of back and forth between the prophet and God. And it seems that in Jonah, Jonah actually can intercede for people and influence future events, at least from our perspective. Now, God is sovereign over all things. His decree is set and sovereign. But that's not exactly the point that Jonah is trying to make. This is not a systematic theology about uh, whether God can change his will while still remaining sovereign or how man's uh, initiative or action interplays with God's sovereignty. That's really not the point here. And if we focus too much on that, if we come to text with those questions, we're going to miss what the text is actually trying to say to us. Because again, the whole point of Jonah is to demonstrate God's extravagant grace to sinners. This is a book about grace. So Jonah the prophet is being called by God to preach to the Ninevites. The city of Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Now, if you remember in the Old Testament, the Assyrians are like the major enemies of Israel. They're not good people. And so when God calls Jonah to arise and head to Nineveh, he's asking him to preach in the Las Vegas of the ancient Near East. I mean, this is a place of sin, of paganism, of debauchery, of all kinds of immorality. And that's the place that Jonah is sent. And these are bad dudes, okay? Assyrian records are filled with accounts of their violent military conquests, uh, their oppressive enslavements of people. Uh, The Northern Kingdom of Israel itself will go into exile in Assyria in a few centuries. So you can imagine reading this while you're in exile being like, God showed mercy to the, to our oppressors? Like, what is this about? So you can understand why Jonah, when he's called to preach to these people, wants to go the opposite direction. Now, direction plays a really important part in the book of Jonah. So chapters 1 to 2 show Jonah descending, going down. He's going to head down uh, to Joppa. He's going to head down into the lower part of a boat. He's going to head down into the sea and then finally down into the belly of a fish. And then there's an ascent in chapters three to four. He goes up, up out of the fish, out onto the land, up to the city of Nineveh, and then finally up into a hill overlooking the city. So the descent and an ascent that frames this narrative. Now, let's start by looking at Jonah's descent. So Jonah descends to the city of Joppa to head to Tarshish, which is the opposite direction of Nineveh. So Jonah is thinking to himself, maybe if I hop onto this ship, I can avoid God. But that never really works out. And God sends a storm while Jonah is on a ship headed to Tarshish that's piloted by pagan sailors. He sends a storm to kind of catch them in the middle, to kind of shake Jonah and be like, you think you can escape me? Are you crazy? And the sailors cry out and they kind of realize, man, who are you? Like, I think this is happening because you, Jonah, are on our boat. So they're, these pagan sailors are chucking their cargo overboard, trying to lighten the ship, trying to survive this storm. 
And what's interesting is Jonah, this whole time in the middle of the storm, is on the lower cabin, in the lower area of the ship taking a nap. (laughs) And the captain of the ship comes down to Jonah and says, arise and call out to your God. Now, it's interesting here because God in the beginning of Jonah says, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. And here, the captain of the ship, this pagan, kind of echoes the words of God. He says, Jonah, arise and call out to your God. So these are two commands to arise. And in both of them, Jonah is less than thrilled. So Jonah kind of wakes up from his nap. It's kind of an allusion to Jesus in the boat uh, whenever the disciples are terrified and he's taking a nap. But this is under, this is a little bit of a parallel here. But Jonah is obviously not Jesus. Jonah is someone who is, has kind of lost his way as a prophet. But the sailors ask Jonah, what's your occupation and where are you from? And he tells them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. It's kind of ironic because they're like, oh, you worship the God of the sea and the dry land? Well, we're about to drown, so why don't you ask him to help you? And then they realize, looks like God's not very pleased with you. It seems like you're running from something, Jonah. Is that what's happening? And you can see Jonah, you know, it's, it's, an, it's a strange thing for him to say, God is the God of the sea, and he thinks he can somehow escape God by going into the sea away from where God has called him. So Jonah's being a little irrational here. And Jonah actually tells them, look, this is my fault. I know this is happening because I ran from the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. Pick me up and chuck me into the sea. So there's another descent. He's going lower. Rather than rising up and crying out to the Lord, he goes down. And this is the first hint uh, of many that Jonah really isn't about God showing mercy to the pagans. And then in this stunning reversal, something happens the pagan sailors actually cry out to God for mercy themselves as the storm gets worse. So the pagan is the one who arises and cries out to God, and Jonah is the one who runs and descends into the deep. And what's the result? Fear of the Lord overtakes the men, and they end up offering sacrifices and making vows to God. Salvation comes to the boat, despite Jonah's efforts or despite Jonah's rebellion against God. And this is a foreshadowing of the eventual repentance of the entire city of Nineveh. And it also foreshadows the fate of Israel. Jonah in this narrative really embodies Israel's character. Israel has gone wayward. And Israel will actually be swallowed up by the nation of Babylon in exile. Right? Hosea 8, 7 through 8 actually speaks of Israel being swallowed up as a reference to the exile. So Israel has run from her calling to glorify God's righteousness among the nations and and run to idols. And as a result, they will be swallowed up. They will descend into exile. They will face God's discipline. But that's not the end of the story. And that's not the end of the story for Jonah either. Jonah is running from God. God scoops him up with a fish. And then God delivers him through that scooping up, from death. It's very interesting that God actually shows Jonah mercy by swallowing up with this fish. And in a strange way, the exile that Israel will face, though it is a discipline for their disobedience, will also be a catalyst for their renewal, for Israel's resurrection, for a renewal of their life and their obedience back to God. Israel will be, quote unquote, spit back onto her land, just like Jonah is spit back onto the land at the end of chapter two. But before that, there must be a reckoning 
with God. And that's what we're going to see in the next chapter. When Jonah, in exile, in the grips of death, in the bottom of the sea, in the belly of a whale, is going to have to come face to face with the terrifying mercy of God. And a question to think for yourself is, who do you consider Ninevites? Who are people you don't want to see God show mercy to? It's easy to have compassion for people who are like us or for people we are naturally, we naturally gravitate towards. But we never imitate God more than when we show grace to our enemies. When we seek blessing for those who oppose us, that is the heart of somebody who understands the grace of God. And the question is, will we be like Jonah? Will we run? Or will we go toward the people that God is reaching out to, no matter how distasteful they seem to us, no matter what personal vendettas we have, do we have a vision of God's grace that could motivate us to do that?